Hello and welcome to The Sunshine House. My name is Zanny Louise. I'm a children's author and I'm recording this podcast on Bunjalung land. So what's been happening in The Sunshine House lately? I've been doing heaps of writing, actually, so I'm really in the thick of a story. It's actually a young adult story, which I wasn't expecting or planning to write, but I have a tendency to follow the story and follow the characters into something until it has me by the grip of my collar and I can't get out again. So that's where I'm at the moment, just having heaps of fun, actually. And yeah, trying to write most days, that means... Sometimes it's half an hour, uh, but sometimes it's actually a couple of hours. I tend to get up early in the morning before other people are awake, get out an hour or so before the school rush and work as often as I can in my little sunshine house office, which is a remarkably creative place actually I'm finding it to be very conducive to creativity I light my little candle uh, set the right conditions and write as long and hard as I can I tend to turn off all my notifications so if you try and call me in the morning you probably won't get through yeah which feels quite nice and most of my appointments my mentoring and things like that are scheduled for the afternoon deliberately just so I can have that morning time dedicated to writing time as much as humanly possible. So far, so good. So today on the podcast, we are chatting to Rhiannon Williams, who actually won the Ampersand Prize several years ago with the first book of the Narrowway Trilogy. It's a yeah, really fun fantasy series. I'm way outside my comfort zone talking to Rhiannon about fantasy. It's not, not a genre I typically read and know a lot about. So it was really interesting picking her brains about what it's like to write these high concept fantasy series. But we are also talking about Rhiannon's new book, Dusty in the Outwilds, which she wrote during lockdown. It's a standalone middle grade fiction Again, one of the most beautiful covers in human history. It really is gorgeous. That's why I approached Rhiannon to do an interview because I just needed to see that cover in closer detail (laughs) and find out more about this story. So well done, Hardy Grant, for beautiful cover. It's, yeah, a really lovely conversation about, yeah, magical realism, fantasy writing. I hope you really enjoy this chat with Rhiannon today. Hi, Rhiannon. Welcome to the Sunshine House. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. Your new book looks so beautiful. I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Dusty and the Outwilds. What a gorgeous cover, firstly. It is. It is the most beautiful cover. I'm so happy with it. And I... um, I always tell this story that I didn't really realize until someone posted the little earth emoji next to it that it's actually the colors of the earth. It's that exact sort of beautiful deep blue with the green. And I just, yeah, I love that. It makes me love it even more. But, yeah, it's a gorgeous cover. I'm really lucky. Tell us us about the story. Uh, So the story is a twisty magical mystery about (laughs) a secret jungle and a sea dragon and a mysterious missing aunt It's basically about uh, our hero, Dusty, who is newly 12, and she overhears a pretty horrible family fight. And part of what she overhears is that her dad is planning to sell her grandma's very special house and the property attached, the paddocks and all of these trees that her grandmother had grown that had kind of grown up with Dusty as well. Uh, So she gets it into her head that her aunt, who ran away when she was 13, is 
the person who can help with this problem. So she charges off kind of in a moment of rebellion, I think to piss her dad off as well, uh, to find her Aunt Meg. And she finds herself in quite an unexpected place that reminds her strangely of stories that her grandmother used to tell her. So I think mm. I'll probably leave it at that so I don't spoil anything. Yeah, yeah, don't spoil anything. Gosh, <laughs> it sounds, I mean, but so evocative. I just want to dive into this magical place. How exciting. So I assume there's magic or fantasy elements to this special place, yeah. Yeah, there is there is magic. It's sort of only a little bit but also quite a lot. That's kind of. Kind of <laughs> Keep it vague. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's little touches of magic but I was really, I really wanted this world and this story to feel like something that could maybe happen. Um, so yeah, there's sort of touches of magic and a few semi-magical creatures as well, which is kind of my thing. I like to come up with magical creatures. So there's lots of magical creatures in this, in this story, but herself is not magical. She's a regular girl. Kids are going to love this. Uh, but isn't that the whole, uh, pursuit of writing magic realism that you do (laughs) want it to feel real. And that's the beauty of sitting down with a book when you're a child or any age that this really could and should be real. How is it not real? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. They were my favorite books as a kid. The ones that you felt like you actually could go to this place if you just sort of figured out how to get in, you know, like Narnia through the wardrobe or like off to Neverland. And I really wanted this story to be something like that, that felt like it could actually just happen to any kid. It's just sort of waiting to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. What were those books for you growing up? Were those two particular books influential? Were there any others that you loved? Oh, definitely the Narnia books. We were big on those. And we used to listen to really fantastic audiobooks of those as well. So mm. we, we were just, they were kind of comfort books. So I loved all of those. And I also loved um, Watership Down, which is actually a bit of a strange one, and and The Silver Brumby. So lots of talking animal books. Um, for me at that time which is weird because I never write talking animals but I did I did love reading about talking animals maybe one day I'll write a talking animal book but you've got those magical creatures which I guess might sort of they never speak speak. I think it's because I've been burned seeing in films often talking animals look a bit silly and so for some reason it's ruined it for me a bit I don't know I don't know if you've seen the uh, Disney, the new Disney Black Beauty, but that's a really funny move. It's really funny because Black yeah. Beauty narrates it in, uh, I think, right. Kate Winslet's voice. Oh. <laughs> no, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't do Black Beauty because it's too sad, and I can't. Sad. I can't deal with with animal deaths. So I. Oh, sorry to spoil Black Beauty for anyone. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never got to the end. So oh, yeah, I, I think it's very sad that one, but a lot of people love it. I uh, yeah, the Silver Brumby is a horse. A horse one where it's yeah not as I actually think there is a bit of death in there but it's it's okay it's, it's okay it's yeah. okay so what is it about magical realism do you think other than that sort of escapism um, that you're really drawn to? Um, well, I think for for this one it was kind of just tempting to write because I'd just written a big high fantasy trilogy mm-hmm. um, and so I just I think I just wanted to explore this space and also I wrote this book in the first kind of. The, the beginning part of lockdown mm-hmm. and I think I was I was really interested in the idea of someone being in their house and kind of setting off on a magical adventure from there so it was kind of it was sort of those things that bled into it as well as you know the fact that I used to love reading stories that were kind of magic realism kind of portal fantasies I guess as well mm. I, I seem to really like portal fantasies a lot of my ideas are going in that direction at the moment but mm. it's it's fun to write a kid 
who's very normal from this world and then mm. put them into a fantasy setting. I think that's that always works just so well and it's, yeah, it's a fun concept because you can really put yourself in the character's shoes. Yeah, absolutely. So you won the Ampersand Prize, by the way. I did. <laughs> Congratulations. I did. Thank you. <laughs> for your very first novel, um, yeah. which was the first book of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like, that sudden moment? Yeah, what an amazing start to your journey. Yeah, it was uh, It was so it was so wonderful. Um, yeah, it's funny thinking back to it. Now, I tried to get published for quite a long time before then. And so it was just that weird moment of like almost like relief more than excitement. Like, mm. oh, it happened. This is not just like a ridiculous dream that I'm going to have to sort of put behind me. Like it's actually happening. I remember I, I remember getting the phone call and kind of I think I sort of knew as soon as I saw Maurice's name, the publisher, um, pop up on my phone because I thought, I don't know, they're probably not calling me to tell me that I haven't won. I mean, maybe they do. But I, no, yeah. They do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I sort of had it's that weird thing where you kind of already know what someone's going to say. And so I was kind of I, that's sort of a blur that moment, really. But, yeah, it was such a wonderful process and I love working with Hardy Grant so much and it was really great that it, it got to turn into a full trilogy as well because I thought um, because that, uh, the the Amazon Prize usually goes to a standalone book mm. um, it did back then and actually I think it's still mostly going to standalones mm. I can't remember if there's been any more series but yeah I, I wasn't sure if they would take on um, something that was going to continue on afterwards but yeah they did and that was it was really great that yeah it's amazing so it was always meant to be a trilogy it was actually, I sort of originally planned it to be five books, wow. um, but they really wanted to see if I could put it into three. And I yeah. actually think it worked out really well as three. It's sort of, yeah, it just would have been a different story if it went on longer. I was happy to wrap it up there because I think I was ready to sort of play around with something else. And I had this idea that I could always go back to it and extend the story if I wanted to. And I think that the next story would be a little older. It might be sort of a crossover kind of young young adult sort of book because they were 14 by the time that the series ended so I actually think it worked out really well rather than trying to extend the middle grade up um, and having teenage characters in it I could actually write it as a sort of it's its own little chunk of youngish young adult books so mm. yeah what a huge project to embark on for your first novel yeah. what, what okay I want to know more about what happened before that like what was your lead up to you know this massive world that you'd created were you doing much writing before that yeah well I'd sort of been playing around with that kind of stuff since I was a teenager and I started as a sort of a big epic fantasy reader and I think there was less young adult stuff around when I was a teenager, there was there still were some young adult books, but it wasn't like what it is now. And particularly with fantasy, there was less. And a lot of the fantasy was kind of crossover into adults. So I read a lot of really big epic fantasy sagas. And so that is just w- what I wrote. And I um I first sort of started by making just endless notes on worlds and things like that. And then I can't remember how old I was when I finally decided to, to go like, okay, I'm going to write chapter one. But in the end, yeah, I wrote, I can't remember. I was talking to my sister about this the other day because she has always read my work. Even when I was a teenager, I used to share it with her. She's five years younger than me. So I think I felt like she was going to be kind. Um, but she lovely. still re- remembers the stories. She actually <laughs> broke into my computer once to read all my notes because she wanted Aww, to know what happened next. That's lovely. So Aww. that was very encouraging. So I wrote a bunch of books when I was quite young and they were all big high fantasy things. And then I tried to get two newer ones published. And then the um, the Narrowway Hunt book was the the third attempt. Yeah, it was just always going to be a big epic fantasy. Yeah. It just 
it's just how my brain works. It still does. Like it's the next thing I'm working on is another big, big one. Wow. I think I just needed a little break. Like I was dusty sort of my um, like your, your breather. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it really was like, it was so, I'm because th- I've, I've sort of struggled a bit. I think everyone struggled during the pandemic to focus and stuff, but um, dusty just was so easy. Like in mm. nothing's ever completely easy, but it, compared to the other books, it was yeah. just a dream to write. It just sort of fell onto the page. And I, yeah, it made me really love the idea of standalone. So I think I will do more standalones, but I do think these big epic fantasies. So what do you think made Dusty easy other than it being shorter, I suppose? Well, I think Dusty is technically set over about three days mm-hmm. and it's all this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. So you're not doing a lot of kind of you know, dipping back into memories or skipping, yep. like time, there's no time jumps, like all these months passed and now we're here. And that just made it very simple to write because every chapter was just like, okay, so what what happens next to get us to the end? And that's actually, it's yeah, it's so simple. And you would think that you could just, knowing that that's so much easier, that you, I would just sit down and try and do that again with my next books. But it's the, you know, the idea kind of dictates how you have to tell the story. And luckily Dusty's fit because she sort of, she ends up in this magical place and she's sort of stranded out there and she's got to get home. So it, it's just going to follow her through there, whereas yeah. um, a big sort of longer fantasy is just going to be more complicated than that. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I so admire you being able to do that. My mind does not work in that way at all, that you're <laughs> able to hold this whole thing in your head, particularly for a trilogy. No, well, I, I think the opposite, though. I always think I'm in awe of people who can write like contemporary fiction stuff and make that really interesting and gripping (laughs) because when I try to do that I'm like I don't understand what my arc is or like what are my Uh character's goals just in normal life but people obviously they do that really really well whereas I naturally do this other thing so it's just sort of yeah yeah just it's just how my brain works but I'm I'm very um because I'd like to write so, you know, you you think of these things that you've experienced in life and you think, oh, well, that'd be cool to explore in a book. But yeah, I've attempted it a few times and I just can't seem, I can't seem to get anywhere with it. So I'm completely in awe of um, contemporary fiction writers. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so is there much planning involved, uh, keeping something like this, you know, moving forward, I guess, or, you know, understanding where all the elements are? Do you have to do yeah. a lot of plotting? I definitely do, but it, I'm sort of a weird plotter because I am, um, I have to get started before I start. I don't necessarily sit and plan everything out then. I um, I get an idea and then I put it on the page and play with it. Mm-hmm. And then I think and make lots of notes in between continuing with the story. And then I layer as well. I'm a big, um, I redo my my drafts so many times before I ever show them to anyone because I'm constantly layering more, in more things that I think of along the way. Nice. So I sort of, yeah, it's, it's kind of plotting and working at the same time, which yeah. works, it works out well for me. I can't seem to do it the other way. It's, yeah, I got to get into the story to figure the stuff out. Yeah, I feel the same. I definitely sort of work between the two. Having a bit of a loose map or a loose structure helps kind of keep everything together. But I mm-hmm. uh, I think that playing is really important. And the more people I talk to on this podcast, the more I realise that's how a lot of us, of us work, yeah. that organic yeah. kind of combination of something quite structured and something quite organic. Yeah. So what does that playtime look like? Are you, um, do you have writing days? Are you, what, what does it look like when you sit down at your computer? At the moment, I'm really lucky because I'm writing full time at the moment. So I just, I try to treat it a bit like a nine to five and yep. I, yeah, I sort of sit down at whatever space I'm sort of 
all over the place at the moment with where I'm living. So it's kind of whatever surface I can find. And I've even got <laughs> good at writing in bed as well, which I never could do before. But sometimes that's like the easiest place to lock yourself away is in the bedroom. But yeah, I sort of just sit down at my computer and I just hope that the words are going to come is really how I treat my writing days. And sometimes it doesn't work. And then that's really frustrating and I get really upset about it. But mostly I always say like the words always come. And so I wish that I could just remember that on the days when it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because I will get there. You always get there. So there's no yeah. need to get so upset, but I do. But I yeah. also, I, I know that a lot of my ideas come when I go running or walking. So I have tried, I've started to like, if it's not working for me, I will go out for a walk and have a big think. And that's still working. It's that weird thing of we've been programmed to think that that going out and going for a walk is like slacking off. And it's like, no, no, because really that's how I figure out a lot of my stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's working. A, absolutely. It's a really <laughs> critical part of the work. Uh, yeah. And even the times you're the big times you're not working, you know, or it doesn't look like you're sort of working on a project. That's also really important fuel, um, mm -hmm. time to gather all of that inspiration and that material that can go into that longer piece of work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The in-between time, um, when those things just sort of work themselves out in your brain is really important as well, which is mm. why it becomes difficult when you've got to yeah, juggle it with other work. Because you've just got less less of that kind of dead time for your the brain space. to figure stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a local comedian here called Mandy Nolan who was running for mm -hmm. politics, uh, running for the Greens, and uh, had a. She's very creative. She's an amazing mm -hmm. woman, and had a great chat with her. And she, I was, she was saying, "Oh, and what are you working on at the moment?" And I said, "Oh, well, since the Lismore floods, I've really not done anything, or it just doesn't feel like I've done anything." And mm -hmm. we just talked about how that's okay you know even though you're a full-time creative that there are these ebbs and flows and mm -hmm. it's just a pity there's no kind of formal acknowledgement of that being part of your work you know it yeah. looks like you're not being productive but yeah, in another hard. way you are aren't you Charging yeah out. there's always that thing as well where people around you they well they'll interrupt that sort of stuff because it looks like you've just got free time yeah let's <laughs> go and have coffee difficult. yeah 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 <laughs> But I sort of try and put in boundaries. Yeah, it's hard. I'm still figuring out the best way to go about it and everything. And, you know, because I tend to, I'll get another job when I need another job and, and it's just, everything's a bit all over the place. So I definitely haven't worked out the best way to handle it all yet. Oh, how great that you're writing full time though. That's yeah. a very wonderful position. Yeah, oh to yeah. Be in. It's so yeah. wonderful. I feel so lucky. And I know every time that I have a bit of a crappy day, I, mm -hmm. I always say like in the future, when you have to be back in another job, you will be so <laughs> angry with yourself for feeling crappy when you're a full-time writer so enjoy it um so back to your beautiful dusty book for a moment um was there any particular one thing that inspired this idea or was it just a culmination of things that came together it's always yeah it's always sort of um a lot of different things I think but it, yeah it's actually really weird that this came out of I think the first seed was when I found out that dinosaurs um, probably had feathers, which is very weird because there are no dinosaurs in my book. But that sort of um, that brought the setting out, and it brought all of these ideas for really weird creatures. That's where that kind of came from. And I used to be when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the land before time. Mm. And I think the reason was I loved the settings. I loved those huge, wild settings. And I think dinosaurs, images of that in my head that just sort of started things kind of simmering away. And then I think, like I said before, it was that idea of being able to set off on an adventure and kind of really 
uh, craving a wild place when you're sort of trapped in your home as well. So yeah, the idea of being able to set off um, on an adventure from your own your own home. There was also so this is all fairly disjointed, but there was also um, I was thinking about when I was a kid. We moved around a lot. At one point, we lived on a farm. At another point, we lived in like a little mining town and another point, like a very small little suburban area. But we were always playing in the garden and the gardens always felt just enormous. They always felt huge, even though they weren't. Like there's a very big difference between a farm and a tiny little suburban backyard. But I never noticed the difference that much. And I was always obsessed with you know, fairy portals and things like that. I used to talk to the bushes and, and <laughs> imagine that they could all hear me beyond. And so I really like that idea of when you're a kid, everything just feeling really big and really magical. And and I really wanted to weave that into a book. So there's a, there's a lot of that in there as well. So I think it's all of those things sort of combined was, was what got this story out. Mm, yeah. So beautiful. So you said that it flowed quite well. Were there any challenges, any things that you found difficult writing this? Yeah, yeah, there were definitely, I think in the editing process, there's always going to be some challenges. Um, it was mostly pretty good. Like this story really didn't, it didn't change a whole lot. It was mm-hmm. just tweaks. I had a bit of trouble just sort of wrangling the beginning. I tend to have longer, slower beginnings, which is not really the the kind of popular thing in kids books like they like you to get into the story really fast and especially like because of blurbs and blurbs give away so much Mm -hmm. um people always say well because of the blurb they're going to know that they're going to get to this place and so your reader wants to get there really fast yeah and I just it's that annoying thing of I just wish the blurb wasn't there because (laughs) I feel like this part is a really important part of the journey we've got to get her there um and so, yeah, I was. It was sort of trying to trim that back up, back and um, and make sure that all of the kind of goals and stakes and everything were working. So th- those were sort of the general challenges. But I think I got there in the end. Yeah. Ironically, I'm working on something now, and I finally wrote a story where the big dramatic thing happens in like the first chapter. And my age, my agent read it, and she said immediately, "This starts in the wrong place. We need more of a build up." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> can't win." win that is the number one rule you cannot win yeah Yeah. oh that's funny (laughs) oh well so exciting to hear that you're working on something uh new and Mm. you know quite different again um and good on you for challenging yourself and trying out different things and these epic trilogies these epic fantasies I, I think it's so wonderful and I also think this beautiful book uh Dusty is going to do so well based on the cover alone clearly <laughs> thank <laughs> it's, you it's a fabulous yeah. cover I well hope so, yeah. yeah all <laughs> the best with it and thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us about your book mm-hmm. oh, thank you for having me it's been really nice thank you for listening to the sunshine house podcast this episode was recorded on Bundjalung land in northern new south wales and was produced by jen pitch virtual creatrix The music was written by Gregor Hutchka and produced by Brett Canning. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating or a review on your favourite podcast platform. This helps the podcast find new listeners. If you're a children's book creator, join us at the Sunshine House Facebook group, a warm and fuzzy place to feel supported and inspired. I'm in the process of building an online course for kids book creators and aspiring authors. If you're interested to know more, please subscribe to the newsletter on my website and I'll be sure to keep you updated. Visit www.zannylouise.com. 
I'd also love to shine a light on the amazing Room to Read charity, which helps educate girls around the world. To learn more, visit roomtoread.org.